All right, good morning. Uh, we are on day three. I know for some of us it feels like it's been longer than that, and for some of us that went really fast. So uh, we're at the halfway point of the week, and um, I just want to share to start, I've really, uh, I've not been able to listen to Jason here, because I usually am doing some prep while he's teaching, and I haven't been listening uh, to Ellen either for the same reason, but um, uh, David, who's been teaching at, in the evening sessions, I've just really, uh, it's so fun to watch how God works amidst the teachers in the same uh, environment. We, we have not put our heads together about what we're teaching, um, but it's just so fun to watch what the Holy Spirit does with the different topics and different teachers and how all of that uh, can feed off of uh, the other, right? And so uh, as he was talking last night about just the whole idea with Isaiah um, having to get whatever was on his throne, whatever was distracting him out of his way so he could fully see the call that God had for his life, uh, it, it's really God's rhythm with, with all of his people, right? Including us, that as we look at Gideon's life, it was the same thing. Gideon was, again, circumstantially aware. It was consuming him, and he had to be removed from that for a minute to be reminded of his spiritual awareness and who God was again and what God wanted to do through him and what Gideon was actually capable of in partnership with God. And so um, so we're going to dive into Gideon's story again this morning. Uh, I do want to start, though, with uh, some group discussion again, just uh, to get our minds going on where we've been. Because again, if you sat with Jason or with Ellen here just a little bit ago, and you've been listening uh, to David as well, there's just three tracks going here, probably in your head. And so to get us back to kind of where we were yesterday, we started day one talking about Gideon, his story. We talked about the importance of identity, the five levels of change, which by the way, many of you have asked me for that, uh, that image or that graphic of the five levels of change. We're going to get that printed and have that for you on Friday. Okay. Um, also, uh, so we talked about the importance of identity. We talked about this sin cycle that we're going to come back to again today. And Gideon's story. Then yesterday, we uh, spent a little bit more time on identity, right? And talking about the importance uh, of that and what that means for us, looking at Nicodemus' story and the fact that we need to be born again. And what does that mean? It means that we don't just come into relationship with uh, God to close the distance gap that we have, but that we depend on him every day now for dependence, right? We're depending on him. Daily choice. We have this moment of salvation and surrender, and then we have daily surrender, which is a daily choice because we have the choice again, right? Um, so we spent a lot of time on that yesterday. So let's just talk for a little bit. Again, what's still standing out to you? What's been resonating with you? What's impacting you? While you do that, uh, also many of you asked for the Father's Love Letter that I read yesterday. So those are printed. I'm just going to pass those around. You can take one and keep passing it as you're talking. And then whoever has extras, if, you have the, if you're the last one to get it, just you can walk it back up here. That's great. Okay? Uh, all right. So what's been standing out? Uh, go ahead and talk amongst yourselves, and we'll get these passed out. Yes, yes. Now I am. All right, whatever thought you're on, go ahead and finish that up and then we'll dive in. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, what what is standing out so far? Just again, want to hear kind of a quick recap of what you were just talking about. What's what's standing out? That everything gels together, no matter which speaker we went to or here, they all seem to culminate to the same theme. Yeah. So, whatever we're hearing this week, it all kind of seems to gel together or culminate to uh, a common theme, which is just like the Holy Spirit to do that, right? Because it's the same Spirit in me as in you as in the other speakers. It's it's the same Holy Spirit. Uh, what else? Yeah, so very uh, important about the names or labels we place on, on kids. Because uh, here's the thing about, about the enemy. He has no um, boundary or no limit for who he wants to go after, right? It's not like he says, hey, oh, you know what? Oh, they just turned 12? Okay, now let's go after him. No, he, he'll go after the seven-year-old or the four-year-old or whenever he can get a hold or a grip on somebody, especially when it comes to identity, um, uh, there's a story of a, of a little girl who um, she was having some issues later on in life and some identity issues. And uh, is what it kind of stemmed back to. And so the question was, where, where did this begin? Where did this thought that you're not good enough begin? And she kind of traced it back to, she said, you know what? It was interesting. Now that I think back to it, uh, I was at my birthday party when I was turning five and I went to blow up my candles and I didn't blow every candle up, missed one. And then I had to blow it. I had to blow it a second time to get the second to get the last one out. And there was something in that moment. She said that triggered in me that just felt like everybody's cheering around me, but felt like oh I missed it. I didn't do it. I'm not I'm not good enough. And there was this foothold that was taken right there. And so again, it's so important for us to be reminded over and over and over again who we actually are, right? Um, we are not what we have done or have failed to do. Uh, what else? Anything else standing up? Yeah. Something you said yesterday, Jesus um, separates behavior from identity. Mm. We have such a tendency to do that. I'm somewhat involved with prison fellowship. The struggle that prisoners have coming out Mm -hmm. in society, where they come to know the Lord, come close to the Lord through prison fellowship, can't get a job Mm -hmm. because they're constantly identified by one state. Yeah, so um, Jesus separating behavior and identity, right? And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this right now because I just triggered this. And um, one of my favorite stories when it comes to that particular thing is uh, the story of the woman who's caught in adultery. And so you have this, uh, here's the situation. You have this woman who is caught in the act of adultery, right? Um, caught with somebody who's not her husband. And by the religious leaders, of all people, caught by her, and then she's dragged out of, of that moment down the street to where Jesus is and placed right in front of Jesus. So you have three tracks going here. Like, I don't know, you got the Pharisees and whatever they're up to. You got this woman who, who knows what she feels like in this moment. And then you have Jesus put in this position, right? And uh, so they, they bring her and they say, what? They say, well, according to the law of Moses, we're supposed to stone her to death. So what do you say, Jesus? And they're trying to trap him because they're always trying to trap him. 
And Jesus starts to write on the ground. And then he looks up and he says, whoever's without the first, whoever's without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. And starting with the older men to the younger, they drop their stones and walk away, right? And so he's left there now with this woman. And he looks at her and he says, woman, who condemns you? And she says, nobody. And so there's this crazy moment for Jesus of grace, right? And uh, I'm not going too far down this road, but I, I do want to say this. There's a major confusion in our world today between um, acceptance and endorsement. Not the same thing. It's not the same thing. But, but our world thinks it is. You either accept me for who I am and what I do, or you hate me for who I am and what I do. It's like there's no in between. No, no, Jesus is very clear. There's a difference between acceptance and endorsement, and he shows it in this moment. And so he looks at this woman and he says, uh, you know, you may think you're condemned. You may think that's your identity. Nobody condemns you, so neither do I. You're, you're not condemned. So there's this crazy moment of grace and forgiveness, acceptance. I accept you right where you are. And then he speaks truth, right? So it's this awesome balance of grace and truth. Jesus was all grace and all truth all the time. And so then he says, go and leave your life of sin. What you're doing, behavior, is wrong. I want to be very clear about that. I'm not endorsing anything you're doing by accepting you right where you are. What you're doing is wrong. Go leave your life of sin. But you don't have to leave here condemned. You're forgiven. And it's this incredible moment of, let me speak identity to you. Let me separate identity from behavior. Accept you for who you are. There's way more that I have for you if you're willing to follow me. And now stop doing what you're doing. And let's come back on track. And you see this heart of Jesus of compassion, not condemnation over this woman, right? Incredibly powerful. And it's an incredibly different perspective to live with than what the majority of our world lives with. So we're, we're going, going back to Gideon this morning. And... Um, Quick, let's get caught up where, where we are. So they were, uh, there was peace for 40 years, and then all of a sudden the people of God start to sin against God and worship false gods, and they're turning their back on God and going a different way, doing things that they, they, they were told not to do. And uh, they find themselves being oppressed by the Midianites who are coming in at every, every harvest season taking all their stuff, right? Including animals and crops and all of these things. Basically now they're, they're to the point of starvation after this happening seven years in a row. And Gideon finds himself in the wine press, threshing wheat, when you're supposed to be doing outside, up on the hill, so the wind can blow the chaff away, right? And then this angel of the Lord comes, who likely is Jesus, and says, I'm with you, mighty warrior. And so, again, uh, addressing the two lies that Gideon was believing, that God is distant and that I'm helpless and I can't do anything about my situation. Okay? And so... Uh, that's kind of where we got to. And there's this kind of exchange of, you know, well, I'm the weakest and I can't do this. And no, I said, I'm with you. And if you want to be delivered, I'm sending you, you go do it. And that's kind of where we, where we uh, walked up to, right? Okay. So we're going to pick up the story. This is chapter six. I'm not going to put it on the keynote because again, it's a little bit longer. So let's just open scriptures or Bible app, whatever you have. Judges six. We're going to start at verse uh, 17. Okay. And uh, I'm going to read here for just a little bit. So uh, finally, the Lord answered this verse 16. The Lord answered, I'll be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Okay. So then Gideon replies and he says, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. How many of you have prayed this prayer? God, if you're really telling me to do something, just give me a sign. I need a sign, right? Give me a sign and then I'll believe you. So that's where Gideon is. 
And uh, so he says, please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return because the Lord is patient. He will wait for whatever we need to do in order for us to step into what he has for us. So Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour, he made uh, bread without yeast, putting the bread in a basket and its broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. Now, this is not like, hey, can you wait here five minutes? I'm going to run over here, grab some stuff and come back. Like he, he actually prepared a young goat. I don't know how long that takes, but it's not a quick process. And then he bakes bread, which is also not a quick process. So there's, there's some time that goes by here. And the angel of the Lord is just waiting patiently. And so finally he gets all of his stuff and he brings it back, puts them under the oak. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. And when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, ah, sovereign Lord. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He was kind of scared at that moment. There was some fear that entered him. Because the thought back then is, if I, if I actually encounter God, if I see God face to face, then I have to die. Because I'm not worthy of being in his presence like that. And so, I, like, my life's over. I'm going to die. But the Lord said to him, what? Peace. Peace. Right here. Peace. Don't be afraid. Which, by the way, quick side note, again, Bible trivia. Bible says, do not be afraid 365 times. So, one for every day, okay? Don't be afraid. You're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace. Again, it's the place of this cycle that God is always trying to lead us to and get us to. And allow us to camp out in this, this place of peace. And he names that place, the Lord is peace. Okay, so uh, let's stop there for a second. This is a big moment for Gideon. See, because Gideon uh, had a test for God. And the test was, God, are you really with me? Like, I know you say you are, and you claim to be, but uh, let me go, let me just, I need a sign, so let me go get this thing, and I'm going to bring it back to you, and we'll see how you respond, and if you're going to, one, if you're going to wait for me, two, how you're going to respond to this. And the, the offering was acceptable, he did wait for him, and God passes the test. And the question Gideon had was, God, are you with me? Now, and that's really his prayer, right? That's what they were crying out, God, be with us, are you with me? That's the prayer. And that's an okay prayer to pray. But if you think about that prayer, it's actually a pretty safe prayer, isn't it? Like, God, will you be with me? Come and comfort me and walk with me and strengthen me. Will you be with me? Right? It's, it's actually kind of a safe prayer, not a bad prayer. It's just a pretty safe prayer. And sometimes I, I think it's so safe that I sometimes wonder if it's actually necessary. Like, do we need to pray that? Because does God actually leave? And then we need to pray and ask him to come back? I'm not sure it's, an actual, it's actually a necessary prayer. The question had, had already been answered for Gideon, that I'm with you. And the question's already been answered for us, that God is with us. And throughout the Old Testament, you see God reminding his people that I've been with you, 
I am with you. I will be with you. You don't need to question that anymore. I am here. I am present. And then in the New Testament, Jesus comes to us, Emmanuel, God with us. Now actually physically, right? And we see him say things like, uh, through scripture, I will never leave nor forsake you. I will be with you to the very end of the age. I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, his Holy Spirit, right? And these are the promises that God makes to us. And sometimes we need the reminder that uh, he's never left us. And that what's happened is that we've probably just positioned him out of view, like Gideon. And even though he's with us, if he's in the back pocket, we don't always see him, right? And we lose sight of him when we get caught up in our circumstantial awareness, until, we, until we're reminded again by our circumstances, oh, I need help. I can't do this by myself. And we bring him back out so we can see him, right? He's always been with us. And God passes this test uh, for Gideon. And Gideon realizes God's really with me. And so then God is, is kind of like this. Okay, Gideon, now, now that I have your attention, okay, the whole offering thing went like it should have, went like you hoped. Now that I have your attention, the question is this, will you actually listen? Getting your attention is the first step. Now the question is, will you actually listen? Will you trust me? Or are you going to continue to trust your own perspective of what you think is right and wrong, what you think is good and evil? Which tree are you going to eat from? Because you have both options right now. And now at this point, God actually has a test for Gideon. Okay, here's what happens. Let's, let's pick up the story. Verse 25. Uh, We're going to go 25 to 32, okay? So that same night, the Lord said to him, to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. This is what they were worshiping, right? This is what God, this is what his dad and all these, all these people were worshiping. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord, your God on top of this height using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. Sorry, I just lost my spot. There it is. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than the daytime. In the morning when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished and the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The men of the town demanded Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a God, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So that day they called Gideon, Jerob Baal, saying, let Baal contend with him because he broke down Baal's altar. Okay, we're going to pause there for a second. Um, Gideon just had this moment of testing God. And now we see what God is asking of Gideon, right? Let's take a couple minutes, again, talking amongst yourselves. What do you notice about this section of scripture? So verse 25 to 32, what do you notice happening here? There's several things going on. What are some some of the things that stand out? What are some of the things you notice? Okay, talk about that for a little bit, and then we're going to come back. Go ahead. 
All right. What's standing out in this section of scripture? I know there's a lot going on. What did you discuss? Yeah. He's still fearful. Okay. Absolutely. For good reason, right? Like, this is my dad's stuff you're telling me to mess with. I don't know if I should do that. Okay, what else? His father defends him, right? He could have just handed him over and said, here, buddy. And we don't know if he agreed with him or not, but he he didn't just hand him over. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Gideon's probably thinking in that moment, like, I'm probably going to get grounded for this. (laughs) Right? Like, my dad's not going to be happy. It's not going to end well. Uh, But then the kind of the other layer of this is, do you trust God? Um with the outcome of your obedience. Because what we see happen, we don't know exactly his heart toward Gideon. Like he could have been, no, Gideon's following God or whatever. Uh, It's fine. And we're doing this, but he's doing that. And I support that. We don't know exactly. But uh, what appears to happen is that there's probably a change of heart in his dad. And and, uh, Gideon didn't transform his dad's heart. God is doing that in the midst of what he's asking of Gideon, right? I once heard, uh, I think it was Charles Stanley said this. He said, um, the goal of my life is to be obedient to God and let God take care of the consequences of my obedience. That's it. Because we often think, well, if I do this, then this is going to happen, this is going to happen. We run down the road of how this is going to play out, which then can paralyze us. Again, it's because it's, well, we shift again to circumstantial awareness. This is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. They're going to think this about me. They might do this, and it, and it causes us to be paralyzed, right? But he moves forward, and then he gets almost the blessing or protection of his dad. Okay, what else is happening? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because we didn't see God necessarily give him like, a, "Hey, you got to do this at noon," right? It was this needs to be done, and so there was probably some strategic effort in that. <laughs> like, let's get this done, and I'm going to be obedient to this, and um, so, so yeah, it could be. What else? Yeah, and it's interesting that he had to go get some guys, right? This was not a small task. I mean, you got a two-year-old bull that's not a small bull. You have this massive pole that's put up that you got to take down and chop it all up and create firewood and build an altar on top of all that, and then it's a process. And so uh, it was interesting that Gideon invited other people into what it is that God was asking him to do and required some help. What else? I thought it was interesting that the things God was asking him to do were things that he was familiar with. Sacrifices, I mean, he already knew those things. Yeah. It wasn't something out of his comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, that's good, that's good. Asking, she said uh, God is asking him to do something that 
he would have been familiar with, with sacrifices, and it wasn't like something brand new, totally new, that was unfamiliar to him. Now, Gideon's dad has at least two bulls, a lot of servants, and enough club to threaten anyone in the community with death. So he's not exactly the least of the least he was telling us. Absolutely, yeah. So his dad had some power and some authority in the community too, right? Uh, which is interesting. Anything else standing out? Yeah. I kind of wonder if his dad kind of wanted to test his own faith in Baal. Because he says, you know, well, you don't have to kill him. If Baal's going to defend himself, he'll kill him. And so you kind of wonder if he almost kind of wanted to see, like, does this have, does God have any power that I've been worshiping? If he does, he can defend himself. And if he doesn't, maybe he's yeah. not worth believing in. Yeah, yeah. So where else do we see that happen with the followers of Baal? Elijah up on the mountain, right? Building the altar, bring down the rain. Uh, and they're calling out Baal, nothing happens. And then Elijah calls and the rain come and quenches the whole uh, sacrifice, right? Um, here's one thing that happened here also in this section of scripture. First of all, there's massive implications to what God is asking of Gideon. Okay. Um, I mean, Gideon at first, when God asked him this, it had to be like, wait, hold on. You want me to do what? Like, again, this is all my dad's stuff. And he gathers 10 servants under the cover of darkness, does all this. Um, which, by the way, this is also something to point out. What God often asks of us isn't always going to be the popular choice or well-liked by everybody around us. It's not his goal. But Gideon does this. Gideon obeys. Gideon actually obeys, and he follows through. And then what? People want to kill him. Reminds me of somebody else, Jesus. His dad stands up for him. And if Baal is really a god, he can defend himself, right? So what God is doing in this whole scene, Gideon just had a test for God. God now has a test for Gideon. And this is, this is also a major moment for Gideon in his life. The, the test was this, Gideon, you desire peace, right? I mean, you experienced it for a little bit. You had 40 years in the land, and then all of a sudden you went back into sin and oppression, but you had this peace, and your goal is peace, right? That's what you desire. You want out of the dark place you're in. You need hope. You're seeking a better way to live. So you pray, God, be with me. But here's what I want to teach you, and here's what you need to learn. Peace and freedom and hope don't come just because I am with you. It's not just because I'm with you. Because I've actually never left you. And look where you found yourself. I've never left you and you were in a cave hiding. I've always been there. What you need to learn to do, Gideon, is this right here. You need to learn to flip the with. Flip the with. You're asking God be with me? Here's what I'm asking of you, Gideon. No, you be with God. Gideon, I'll be with you. The question is, will you be with me? You need to flip the with. That's the test. That's the lesson that needs to be learned. It's not just about God being with me. Transformation comes when I choose to be with God and go where he's going. It's not just, hey, I got him with me. Okay, God's with me. Awesome. And I'll pull him out when I need him. No, God is saying, I'm going somewhere. The question is, are you with me? <coughs> And so I'm going to ask you to do this thing that's going to be really scary, and uh, it's probably not something you would ever choose to do on your own. 
But here's what I'm asking of you. The question is, will you go with me? Isn't just about God being with me. That's the easy part. It's the safe prayer. Because guess what happens when I, when I pray that? I stay in control. God, I'm going over here. Will you be with me? I'm still in control. I'm still driving my life at that point. As long as he's with me, I can call on him anytime I need him. And it's really convenient. But when God says, are you willing to go with me? Put me first. Trust me. Put me in control. Right? One day Jesus was with his disciples, and this is what he said to them. He said, um, faith is not... Uh, no, that's, that's sorry. That's, a, that's the next quote. Uh, John 12. Whoever serves me must do what? Follow me. And where I am, my servants also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. So if my prayer has always been about God be with me, the question is, am I willing to flip the with? There's probably going to be some pretty significant implications to that. There's probably going to be uh, some pretty significant sacrifice needed for that. It's going to be uncomfortable. Remember we said yesterday, God doesn't care as much about our comfort as he does our preparation for where he's taking us, right? To make my life about me with God. And so Gideon goes from God being with him to him being with God. Yeah, he obeyed God. He listened. He did it. And so now God is out in front and God is leading. He's got Gideon's attention. And it's when we place ourselves in the right position behind Jesus, it's only then that we can begin to experience what Jesus came to give us in the first place, which was what? John 10, 10. Came to give us life and life to the full. I love, I love the image of uh, if there's a, 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 an adult or a parent walking out in the snow and as they step, they have these footprints behind them. And, and when I think of following Jesus, I think of tucking myself behind him. And I don't even really have to look up to see where he is. I'm just kind of jumping from footprint to footprint as the kid in the snow and trusting where he's going is the right, was the right direction, right? There's that, that's kind of the, the image that I have when I think of following him. He's actually leading. I'm just taking one step at a time behind him. I'm not trying to figure out where exactly he's going to end up. Though sometimes we want to know that. God, give me the whole thing. Well, scripture says that it's a light to my path, not a beacon to the whole trail, right? It's step by step by step. One step of obedience after another. And so this is where Gideon's at. So uh, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit because there's a, a, lot, a lot to read. Um, and I want to kind of set up the, this next part of the story. So, so here's what happens. After this moment, so all, all that stuff happens. Gideon obeys. Here we go. Ga- he gathers all of the fighting men that he can get. And that number uh, ends up being somewhere right around 32,000 that he gathers to go into battle against the Midianites, okay? And he's getting ready, and he's getting excited. And uh, the thing he's not so excited about, though, is that the battle he's going into is going to be probably slightly over 100,000 soldiers that he's going up against, right? So 32,000 he has, 100,000 on the enemy territory. And he knows God's with him, and he's ready to be with God, but I still just am not quite sure, right? Like, this just doesn't feel feel right. doesn't feel fair. I feel like I should get a little bit more, like I've been obedient. I destroyed all my dad's stuff. You can give me a little more than this, God. And so he's getting ready, but then he has this other moment of, uh, I don't know about this. God, I think I just need one more sign. (laughs) Can you just give me one more sign that this is actually going to happen? And so he tests God again. 
right? If you continue to read the story, um, he says, okay, God, if you're really going to use me, here's the deal. Tonight when I go to bed, I'm going to take this fleece and I'm going to put it out on the ground. And if the fleece is wet in the morning and the ground is dry, then God, I'm all in. Like, if you do that, I trust you. I'm all in. Let's do this. And so he goes to bed, wakes up in the morning. Guess what happens? Exactly what he asked God to do, right? The fleece is wet and the ground is dry. And Gideon's like, oh, that's, that's amazing. But uh, it might have been a fluke. So let's do this one more time, God. Just one more time. Just, just for safety measures. Now this time, let's reverse it, though. So let's keep the fleece dry, and we'll make the ground wet. And God says, you know, Gideon, okay, whatever. Well, whatever we got to do. So he goes to sleep, wakes up in the morning. That's exactly what happens, right? Wakes up, the fleece is dry, the ground is wet. And Gideon, I can't imagine what Gideon did that next morning. Like, he's got to be like, this, this is amazing. Like, I'd like to actually just keep this going, but I should probably be obedient now. We should probably actually get to work and do what God's asked me to do. And so Gideon passes the test again. Um, God says, hey, I'm with you. Let's go. I'm always with you. Let's do this. Let's go fight them. Let's take them out. Let's conquer them. And Gideon's adrenaline has to be shooting through him, right? Like, man, we're about, I can't not believe we're about to do this, but we're about to do this. This is, this is getting crazy. And so uh, he's getting ready to go. They wake up in the morning. They're, they're getting ready. He's got to have this moment of anticipation. And then God says, uh, hey, Gideon, um, Hey, one more thing. One more thing. Uh, you have too many warriors with you. Gideon's like, oh, wait, hold on a second. What? Oh, you mean not, not enough, right, God? Like, I don't have enough. I know I don't have enough. You, you plan on giving me more? No, no. You have too many. Gideon's like, yeah, but I have 32,000 against 100,000 plus. So God says, here's what I want you to do. Tell the people who are afraid they can just go home. They got a free pass. They don't have to fight. They don't have to go to the battle. Whoever's afraid, send them home. And Gideon's like, I cannot believe we're doing this, but I guess we'll do that. And guess how many left? 22,000. Leave and go home. Okay, so he's got 10,000. Getting ready to go up against 100,000 plus. Gideon's got to be thinking, okay, God, uh, I passed that test. Let's do this. Actually, Gideon, still got too many. What? What do you mean I still have too many? Yeah, I still got too many. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take all of these guys that you have left, and I want you to take them down to the river. And um, I want you to have them drink out of the river. And some are going to use their hands, and others will just stick their face in the river to drink. And whoever uses their hands and laps it up like a dog, I want you to keep them. And whoever just sticks their head in the river and takes a drink, you can just go ahead and send them home. And so Gideon's like, okay, let's do it. So they take him down to the river. And how many use their hands? Anybody know? 300. 300 use their hands. He sends the rest home. And he's left with 300 men. Now, if you're Gideon in that moment, I don't know what you're thinking. I'm thinking uh, this God is, he's lost his mind. He's clueless. Like we're, he's setting us up for failure because apparently that's what God does. Maybe, I'm, maybe I am, maybe at the end of the day, maybe he's just punishing me for how bad I have been. Maybe that's what this is. Sometimes our heads go there. You have 300. Gideon, what I'm trying to teach you is that your strength doesn't come through soldiers. Your security isn't found in how much you have. I don't know what you think you're building your life on. 
but it's, it's not on what you accumulate. It's not on what you've acquired. That's actually not going to sustain you. Your peace doesn't come from you being able to control everything either. See, we think sometimes if I can just get everything under control and I can have everything manipulated and I can do everything I want to do, then I'll have peace. Like if, if this is in order and I get my finances in order and this is all set and, and these kids behave right. Has that ever happened in your life? Nope. There's always at least one area in your life that just seems like chaos, right? Your peace doesn't come by you controlling everything and getting everything in the right spot. That's not how you get peace. It all comes, Gideon, from you being with me and you doing what I say to do. That's it. You follow me and obey me, and it will be difficult, and it will be challenging, and it's not going to be popular, and people are probably going to want to kill you for it, but I'm just telling you, that's the place that, you've, that you really experience peace and purpose and real joy and real life. And Gideon actually passes the test. And he takes those 300 and he heads to the battlefield. The question I have for us is, what might God be asking you to let go of? There's things we're holding on to that just seem like if I let go of this, I'm going to lose some security. If I let go of this, I'm going to lose some power. If I let go of this, I'm actually losing control and it feels like I'm going to be in more chaos. But there's things that we've been holding on to. And it's really interesting that sometimes when uh, God gives us something and we're often focused on the provider, right? God provide for me, help me, give me what I need. And then God provides. And then we can get to this place of provision that we think, oh, I have what I need now. And we can get our eyes off of the provider and on the provision, and then we start to trust the provision and begin to walk away from God. And when that happens, we actually begin to hold on to the provision. And so our hands are closed now, which means uh, we're we're not going to lose anything, but we also can't be given anything else. And so God is opening up the hands of Gideon again and asking us to open our hands and say, hey, you need to let go of this. It's holding you back. It's limiting what I want to do in your life. You can't go where I'm asking you to go. You can't experience what I'm asking you to experience in your life. If you hold on to that, you have to let it go. Is there something you're trusting too much? Have you placed your confidence in something that doesn't deserve it? There's a quote from uh, Mark Batterson in his book, Wild Goose Chase. And I love this. He says this. uh, It's on the screen, but I'll read it too. He says, um, faith is not logical. It is not illogical either. Faith is theological. It does not ignore reality. It just adds, sorry, I should say God. It just adds God to the equation. It doesn't ignore reality. It doesn't ignore all the circumstances, which seem unbearable. It just adds God to the equation. Faith is not mindless ignorance. It simply refuses to limit God to our logical constraints. When you add God to the equation, what's possible? Anything. Anything beyond our own comprehension of what could possibly happen, right? There's been seasons in my life where I've chosen to just trust God on something. And uh, things that happen and things that God organizes and orchestrates behind the scenes, 
blow me away. It, it, it becomes a story I could never write because uh, in my mind, I think, well, if I do this and this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And then you do it. And just like Gideon did with his dad, oh, this actually ended up happening. And this, this was way different than I thought it was going to be. Why? Because God is asking you to do it. Do you trust him to take care of all the things that surround what he's asking you to do? He's capable of doing all that. And so I want to share this. Um, three things um, that I think are required to live the way that God has asked us to live. And um, let me start by, by sharing this little diagram. I was in my office one day just kind of praying for how can I simply communicate, God, uh, what it looks like to really be fully all in with you. Um, and this is what he gave me. So started with this uh, stick figure. Okay. And so here's this guy. He's, he's all excited. And he's got this vision of, you know what, Jesus... Jesus is where I want to go. Like, that's what I want to be consumed with. I want to know everything I can about him. I want my life to be like him. I'm running after him. Here we go. I'm super excited about my faith journey. It's all about Jesus. And then as we're pursuing him, uh, we just walk through normal life, right? So we have things like family. We have friends. We have money to manage. Some of us have a job to go to. We have school we attend. We have different uh, goals that we want to accomplish and set. We have a schedule to try to manage and keep. We have, um, I don't know, health. Probably exercise a couple times a year. Um, you have a, probably a church you're a part of, right? And so all of these things uh, are in our life. And there's nothing wrong with any of them. They're all good. But they all just kind of get all blended together and mixed up. And then what typically tends to happen is that wherever we are, that thing gets elevated, right? So when I go to my job, I'm focused on my job, and everything else is in here somewhere, and Jesus is mixed in there somewhere, but my job is the focus. And then when I go home, my family's the focus, or my kids are the focus, right? Or when I go out and uh, hang out with some friends, like, they're the focus. And again, Jesus is all mixed in there somewhere, but then when I go to church, then maybe Jesus gets the focus, and he's the one that I'm actually paying attention to and spending time with in that moment, right? And so the thought that God gave me was, listen, if you're going to um, really be fully surrendered to what it is I'm asking you to do and be in relationship with me, then Jesus cannot just be another thing you see amidst all the other things you see, right? Jesus actually has to be the very lens by which you see everything else. And when we begin to live this way, it begins to transform every part of our life. Because now I'm looking through the character and the person of Jesus, and I'm asking, what does that mean according to who he is and what he's taught in his truth? What does that mean about how I should lead my family and how I should engage my family? When I look at the person of Jesus, what does that mean about how I should manage my money and where my money should go? Or what I should even allow into my schedule and prioritize? Or who I am when I show up at my job or at my school? What does that mean for me about being a part of a church? Now, it transforms what church is, right? When you begin to look at it through the lens and the character of Jesus. And I think once we can learn to put this lens on, the Jesus lens on, and begin to look at everything in our life through his character and through the person and his truth, I think we can begin to really step into the fullness of what God has created us for. Now, Okay, three things, uh, three qualities of living the way of Jesus that I want to share, and then I think that's probably going to take us to the end, okay? And I have low battery here. This lasts great. If it doesn't, that's fine too. 
So uh, three qualities of living the way of Jesus. If this is, let's call this living the way of Jesus, right? Uh, one of the things in our church that we lead and, and walk through is a discipleship pathway process. It's actually 34 weeks of classes and training that we take people through. It usually takes me about a year and a half to get through uh, of really me, uh, understanding what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and how do I do this? How do I be the best disciple I can be? And then how do I make disciples of others? Because we're all called to do that. Nobody's exempt from making disciples, right? Introverts included, like me. We're all called to make disciples. And so how do we do that? And, and uh, when we get to the making disciples part, the goal of that whole 16-week journey just in and of itself is to learn to make the way of Jesus normal in our lives. So the, it's just a normal operating system I have. The way I think, the way I see, the way I communicate just becomes more and more normal of the way of Jesus, which happens when I learn to depend on God more, uh, the tree of life, right? And I think there's three qualities. I'm going to erase some of this. Three qualities that are, um, no, I don't need to, that are super important for us to have in place to begin to live this way. These three things are required. The first is this. I'll put all three of them up here. The first is uh, you have to be a person of surrender. Surrender is the first thing required. And I'm talking about complete, full surrender. And so the definition of this is to give up my way and my desires for God's way and his desires, ultimately leading to true freedom. What's freedom? Freedom can have a a lot of baggage in the church world, right? Freedom, oftentimes people think freedom is, is the absence of something. So like I'm not behind prison bars or uh, I don't have this dragging me down anymore. And once I get this out of the way, then I can experience freedom. I don't think freedom is the, uh, the absence of something. I think it's the presence of someone. And so as we're surrendered to the person of Jesus and begin to live out of what he's actually asking us to do, we can begin to experience true freedom in our life. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your own life, you'll lose it, right? But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. True life is found in surrender. And when I'm not fully surrendered to Christ, guess what? I'm actually in opposition to him. So when you think of a battle or a war going on, when I don't fully surrender to uh, the opponent, there's actually still something that's in opposition to them. Full surrender means I'm fully under the control of you. I'm giving up everything. You have every, you have all the access to all the places. So God will fill all the places of my life that I make available to him. Uh, East Stanley Jones. Did I hear somebody talking about East Stanley Jones the other day? Yeah. Okay, uh, so E. Stanley Jones, I love this quote. Maybe she shared this one. Um, he says this. He says, if you don't surrender to Christ, you surrender to chaos. You will be surrendered to something. And so one of the things I often do is just check, where am I experiencing chaos in my life? Because if, if there's chaos, there's, there's a chance that I need to resurrender something in that area, right? What do I need to surrender? The second thing, I think that's super important characteristic that we need uh, is dependence. To put complete trust in God with confidence. So it's not this, okay, God, I guess I, I'll trust you this time. And I don't know. I mean, we'll see what happens. I, you say you're going to do something. So I, I don't know. No, dependence is I can actually come to him and I can have full confidence that he's actually going to do what he says he's going to do. 
Because it's in confidence that then I actually, again, I'm experiencing peace, right? If I don't have full confidence in somebody, think about somebody that you're like, eh, I don't know if I'd really trust them with my money or my kids or my, I don't know about that. Right? Sometimes when we get a new babysitter, it's like, I mean, I think they're, they're going to be okay. But you, you tend to text maybe a little more often to see how things are going, right? And you don't have total peace while you're gone that whole time because you just don't know what, what exactly is going on, right? Um, dependence is to put complete trust in God with complete confidence. I do want to share this. In, uh, oh, yeah, we got time. So uh, one of the issues and why it's so hard to work toward dependence and why this can be a foreign concept to people, and it's why people miss the, the fact that when you surrender to Christ, there's, there's a daily now surrender, which is depending on him every day. I'm depending on him every day. It's not just this one moment for salvation. It's every day I'm depending. Why is it so hard to get us to that place? Because the culture preaches opposite, right? Here's what the culture says. He's, uh, the culture says that the goal would be to move from uh, dependence to what? Independence. That's the goal. So at some point, you need to learn how to do everything on your own. Like, get off of uh, being dependent on everybody else and get, you know, work up the strength and all of the uh, capabilities you need to be able to do everything on your own. The goal is independence. And when you've reached this place of independence, then you've arrived, which is what the culture says. Now, I'm not saying there's, everything's wrong with that. Because at some point, like, it would be great if my kids would feed themselves. <laughs> it would be great if the people at work would actually do the job they're supposed to do without me standing over top of them, right? So some independence is good. But why it's so hard is because this is what the world teaches. And God says, oh, no, no. The goal is to move from independence to dependence. And when you become completely dependent on me, then you've arrived. That's the place you need to be, right? So dependence is absolutely necessary. And then the third thing I would say is this. Uh, you have to have obedience. You have to have obedience. Living your life in response to God's truth and direction. Is your life being lived in response to God's truth and God's direction? If not, uh, or if partially, both are actually disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience, right? Jesus replied uh, in John 14, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Obedience is not optional. Jesus said uh, to the people who believe in him in John 8, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Again, freedom, full life. So my obedience to God requires me to have faith in God, right? I have to have faith in him first. When I put my faith in him through my action, I will then get to experience his faithfulness. And the more faithfulness I experience of God, the greater my faith goes, right? I remember early on in, uh, in our marriage, um, we were not making a lot of money. And God was very clear that we need to be generous. Uh, and we need to follow through on uh, what he asked us to do with giving and and I was like, I don't know if, maybe not yet, God. Like, let's make a little more and then we can, then we can start that process. Nope, right now. Be generous now. Because if you're not generous now, probably not going to be generous then. So uh, I just remember watching God provide in ways, not just financially, but in ways for us where I'm like, if I wouldn't have gone through that season of struggle financially, there's no way my faith would be where it's at now. Because he stretched my faith to here and his faithfulness met it. 
Then he stretched my faith to here and his faithfulness met it. And so it's really hard uh, to get me shaken anymore, especially when it comes to finances, because I've just seen God's faithfulness and evidence of God's future faithfulness. The best or the best indicator of God's future faithfulness is what? His past faithfulness. Every time you experience his faithfulness, faith increases, right? And that comes through obedience, only through obedience. And so uh, I want you to think about uh, these questions. When it comes to surrender, first, as you look at your own life, what still needs to be surrendered or handed over? David uh, mentioned this last night, right? What's in the way? Keeping you from being able to fully see what God has. Dependence, as I look at my own life, where do I tend to lean on my own way? Or where do I tend to lean on my own understanding? Where I think, hey, I'm, I'm just, I'm an expert at this. I know the way of this. So I'm going to go to God for this, 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 this. But when it comes to this, I got this part down. As if you're perfect in this area. Probably not. So what is that area that you tend to lean on your own understanding? And then with obedience, as I look at my own life, where or how is God calling me to obey him? And again, it's probably not going to be super easy. It's probably not going to be super comfortable. It's probably going to stretch you. It's probably not going to be popular. But where is God asking me to obey him? The rhythm that I believe God calls us into. It's the last thing I'm sharing, I promise, and then we're, we're done. God is always revealing himself and his truth. Always. He's not hiding. He's not playing like a scavenger hunt, like, hey, come and find me. If you do this, 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 then you'll be able to see, right? He's always revealing his truth. I spend a lot of time talking to people who say, you know, I'm praying, I'm really praying about something. And until I hear that uh, what God wants me to do, I'm just not going to really do anything. And the response I give them is, oh, you know why he's not saying anything? Because he's already said it. And you're not familiar with the scripture. And so if you familiarize yourself with what God has said, that will save you a lot of waiting. Because it's already here. God is always revealing his truth in his way. The question is, do we recognize it? Do you recognize it? Do you even see what God's doing and what he's up to? And then once you recognize, oh, okay, I see, I see what God's doing. Gideon, his eyes were open. Okay, God, you're with me. Okay, that's good. Then the, then the question is, will we actually receive what he's saying? We may recognize truth, but we actually receive it for our own self. That's the next step. So I recognize, I receive. We're actually made to be receivers. How do we inherit eternal life? Receiving the free gift that God has given us of salvation, right? We're always, we're made to be receivers. And when we receive it, then the last step is, this is the obedience step. Will we actually respond? Will we respond with what God is saying? I recognize it. I receive it. Now it's my response. How, what, how is that changing my life at all? What steps am I taking? Because here's what God promises then on the other side of our response, on the other side of our obedience. He promises to redeem and what? Restore. That's his process. He's the beginning and the end of the process, always revealing. The question is, will we recognize, receive, and respond? If we do, his promise is to redeem and restore. You, the people around you, that's what his promise is. And so I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to pray just for a couple minutes um, to wrap up. And we're going to pray through these three 
areas of surrender, dependence, and obedience. And then we'll be on our way to lunch, okay? Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. I'm so grateful for your truth because without it, uh, we are completely lost. We may uh, have a good day here and there and figure something out, but uh, God, we can't sustain ourselves. We can't charge a dead thing from a dead thing. We need you, the source of life. And so we've heard a lot this week already. We're only halfway through. And God, just in this moment here, just for a couple minutes, um, we come before you and ask your spirit to speak. If there's anything in our lives here that needs to be surrendered to you, there may be some areas where we are surrendered. And there may be some things that we're just holding on to too tightly. Would you just show us right now if there's anything we're holding on to, anything we're gripping too tightly that needs to be surrendered. God, where do we tend to lean on our own understanding? Maybe some areas in our life that we think we've mastered some things or we've been through enough to finally learn the lesson and we don't have to learn anything anymore in that area. Where do we tend to lean on our own understanding? Or what have we become dependent on other than you? God, once we're in a place of surrender and dependence, it can still be really difficult sometimes to be obedient because the steps required aren't always easy. And um, maybe unpopular, but we need to be able to trust you with the consequences of our obedience and step into what it is you're asking us to step into. And so if there's anything that we are being disobedient in right now, that we've neglected, that you've already told us what to do, but we just haven't done it, we've delayed it, would you just put that on our hearts right now uh, to the place where we, we can't ignore it anymore? Just show us what that is, please. Areas that we need to obey you. God, thank you for being a God who actually hears us right now and who communicates to us right now. It is really um, hard to comprehend how the creator of all things is so personal to be right here at Bayshore Camp right now in this moment, underneath this tent and underneath the other tent and all the other places you are communicating and revealing yourself around the world. It really is amazing. But you care about our lives and you created us for a purpose. I pray that as we continue on through our day and the rest of this week, our hearts will continue to be open, and that you continue to speak, that we will continue to recognize what you're saying to us, receive it, and respond appropriately to it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's have a great lunch. We'll see everybody back here tomorrow morning.